0: This is Reaching the Finish Line, and I'm your host, Callan Diggs. Check out the website, www.reachingthefinishline.com, and pick up my free report. Save up to 75% what they don't want you to know. Reachingthefinishline.com. Laurel Langmeier. She is an American financial expert, entrepreneur, self-help author, and CEO and founder of Live Out Loud. She is a five-time New York Times and Wall Street bestselling author and is known for her books The Millionaire Maker, The Millionaire Maker's Guide to Wealth Cycle Investing, Put More Cash in Your Pocket, Yes Energy, and The Million Maker's Guide to Creating a Cash machine for life she's also properly known
1: to been on the popular self-help movie uh the secret so i'm delighted to have her on um i've never not had a mentor since i was 17 i think it's a huge mistake if people want to be successful they need to follow successful people mm-hmm. and that's why i do a lot of mentoring and you know guiding uh, lots and lots of folks um <clears throat> so the the take action, I think, is critical. Because I, I coined a word through the Millionaire Maker book and a lot of my books called Sequencing. When you do action, you're doing it at the right time. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people are in action. Like I had a client the other day say, well, how much more time is this mentoring going to take? I said, more time is going to take you less time because you're already using your time. It's just ineffective. It's busy. You're actually wasting time because I equate time to your checkbook. So how you spend your time, how you spend, you know, how you, you know, I always say, you know, if I look at your checkbook and your calendar, I'll know what's important to you. And most people <laughs> are just busy running around doing crazy work and what they're doing. They don't know how to correlate it to the checkbook because they're not trained to do that. They're just trained to be occupational, go get a job, be busy for nine hours. And then, you know, obviously that correlates to some checkbook when I'm talking entrepreneurially, I have so many entrepreneurs who are stuck and they're in action. They're just doing the wrong thing. It's so critical to get the right sequence. And that's really why The Millionaire Maker and my work is so different than others. It's about, you know, assessing where you are and given where you are, what do you need to do now to have the most result? And, you know, a place, Callan, that just especially with the economy just rocking right now Mm -hmm. and it's so good. Presidential elections kind of, you know, tangling a lot up. But it's interesting. (laughs) But what's interesting is how many people are sitting on cash. I call it lazy assets and not investing. Mm,
2: That's right. They're Just
1: so busy being busy. And here, if we actually like my fastest millionaire recently was under four months, and he had about just over half a million of very lazy assets and reallocated to proper assets like gas and oil franchises, you know, some real estate projects, some debt instruments, some things that a lot of people don't know about. Um, he was a net worth millionaire, just reallocating his money in less in four months. That's how powerful my, like, what I talk about is. It's so critical that you do the right thing and be in action, but be guided in action. Don't just wander around busy. And that's what I think most people do is wander around busy.
0: Right. So yeah, I I think I like the way you put that. It's sort of kind of like a a, a staircase in a way. It's like, obviously taking no action is awful. And if you are taking action, but not the right action, well, you're making a lot of mistakes and, you know, you're going to have a lot of stress, but there can there can be some lessons found in that, but then taking the right action obviously is the best, and that's gonna uh, that's gonna that's gonna uh, accelerate your progress uh, much more faster. You talk about perfection is poverty. Uh, uh, elaborate on that if you would.
1: Oh, I do. I I pick on a lot of people about this one because I think too many people are working towards like they're working on their webinar. They're working on their book. They're working on getting their home office set up or whatever they're doing, but they're trying to get that piece of it perfect. And those pieces don't make money just because you have a book doesn't mean you're making any money Mm -hmm. just because you have a webinar or you have a seminar or you have a jewelry piece of jewelry, you know, jewelry making machine or whatever you have. If you're not marketing and selling it, you're not making any money. And so I find too many people are stuck also because they're stuck in the perfection, uh, you know, the the perfection zone of thinking is perfect. And the truth is, I mean, Jim Collins wrote it from Stanford, in Good to Great. And then he he trumped that with a new book called Good Enough, mm-hmm. which is when it's eighty percent, launch the damn thing. Mm-hmm. Because if people buy it, you can always perfect it with money. But you, if you keep perfecting, you're going to go into poverty. You're not going to have any money because no one's buying what you have at hundred percent of what you think is a hundred percent. And the only way you know hundred percent is right and perfect is if the market's buying it. Mm-hmm agree right if the market's not buying it nobody wants it right so give like switch fast and that's the other kind of action around perfection and kind of the right thing you know do the right thing at the right time is if you don't have a sale on anything you know I raise a lot of capital i raise you know about a million dollar a month for gas and oil and some different uh, projects that I'm doing. I'm raising money right now for a music store, a Broadway play, some cool stuff. But I won't raise any money unless the first, like, ticket sold, or the first thing is sold, the first piece of jewelry sold, the first, you know, instrument sold. If sales aren't happening, it's just an interesting entrepreneurial idea. And I find, like, I could put this at the 99% of, you know, mistakes entrepreneurs make, is, well, I want to write my book, or I want to get this lotion and potion out, and I want to get this thing, whatever the thing is, because a product or service, I don't care. But if the market's not buying it, stop doing it. You know, that's a massive mistake. People go and they hide in their little hole for 6 months creating something magical. I said, "Really? Is it magical? Did anybody pay you to do it?" Well, no, but I know it's a good idea." you said, "How do you know it's a good idea? How many people have you asked?" That's called mark, you know, that's called target your market and market research. Yeah. Well, I don't know, but I just think it's a really good idea and it's how much money have you spent on this crap? Yeah. <laughs> And I mean I'm part of I'm kind of intense about it because it's just it's heartbreaking to watch people go broke working on stuff nobody's asked and nobody's paid them to do. Yeah. And it's really pivotal in my work how I switch how money's made. I want you to make money first, then design something. Yeah.
0: Very different. You're right. and that's the problem. A lot of people, they have, they call, uh, call it like blind passion, you know, they're so passionate about something, but they haven't tested the market. They haven't seen if there's a need for it, if people will buy it. And, you know, they, they're, they love it so much. They're so invested in it. And so sort of like they got the blinders on it. They, they're going through this tunnel and, and they believe that it's going to be you know, a huge success, but, you know, they don't have no evidence. That will uh, that will you know lead someone to believe that there is a market, there is a likelihood for a person to have having a uh, success with that type of business as well. So perhaps you can go into as far as maybe is it a good idea? Maybe is it a good idea for an entrepreneur uh, to get debt? Let's say you got good debt, you got bad debt. Maybe mm, you can talk about that a bit.
1: Absolutely. I'm a huge fan of good debt. In the occupational conversation, which is led by, you know, Orman and Bach and Ramsey and the financial institutes, you know, all they do is say, don't get in debt, don't get in debt. And the only thing they're doing, and Susie and I've talked about this before, is limiting, like, why not go into debt? If I know how to make income on an unlimited upside, why wouldn't I go and leverage somebody else's, you know, so you want to borrow me a hundred grand and I'll pay you, you know, eight, 10%. I'll take your own money all day because I can make 40, 50, 60% on it. So why not lend the money, right, or borrow the money? Mm-hmm. So that's good debt. Why not take on a mortgage? Um, why pay the whole house off? So I always say to people, if they want to be a three- to five-year millionaire, they have to leverage good debt. Mm-hmm. Um, and good debt. So if you had $100,000, I would want you to buy five different assets with 100 grand, 20,000 or 25 or four, you know, $20,000, $25,000 per asset. So you're diversified, you're in different asset classes, uncorrelated assets, and move very differently in the market. The reason why most people won't leverage is because they still have the old-fashioned conversation of why well, I shouldn't be in debt. And I say, if you know, and most millionaires and multimillionaires are also carry millions of dollars of good debt, we're leveraging assets, which is so not taught. It's one of the biggest passionate conversations I have is how do you leverage debt? I use money all the time. I'd rather borrow somebody's money at 4%, 5 6%. They think that's great. I'll go make, like I said, a lot of money on their money. Mm-hmm. And I'll just yeah. hand them back their little interest rate they want. Um, but, you know, what the problem is, Callan, is the bad debt conversation. You know, I don't agree people should be in bad debt, but the only reason they're in bad debt and they're focused on it is that's what they've been taught like that's what they're listening to is don't have debt rip up your credit cards well you rip up your credit cards you don't have good credit that means you can't buy anything properly anyway i don't know how you function without a credit card in today's world so all that's nonsense and the the real answer isn't to reduce your debt the real answer is learn money the only reason people have bad credit card debt is because they outlive their ability to make money so let's solve the right problem let's go create a bunch of money and then use your credit card, just pay them off every month. So I'm, I have a very different approach to debt. In fact, one of the gifts that I'm going to give uh, everyone listening, it's on liveoutloud.com forward slash gifts, is an ebook copy free of my Millionaire Maker book. So on the 194th page of that book, I give you my version of a debt plan, which is very different than anybody's ever read before. It's a very, very different process. You will get rid of your bad debt, but it's over time and you're going to be growing and making money while you're doing it. It's it's a very different process than most people have ever had. So I'm giving that to the listeners just to hear a very different way of how to handle debt. I mean, I can promise you, you know, Trump Trump's gone bankrupt four times. He didn't go bankrupt, his companies did. Exactly. Com- I mean, he he carries I don't I mean, it'd be interesting to look at his his collective balance sheet of all of his companies. He's, he, he probably carries 40, 50, $60 million dollars of good debt, Yeah, leveraged yeah. against great stuff. I mean, that's what people don't realize. So you can tell I could go on and on and on and teach people about debt, because it drives me crazy that people won't move and grow, because they're so scared of that word, that four letter word.
0: Jay Bear. Jay is a New York Times bestselling author, and also author of his recent book, Hug Your Haters, How to Embrace Customer Complaints. What would be some advice, uh, and and then we'll go into uh, as far as you know dealing with customers internet marketing. Mm-hmm. But what, what would be some advice that you would give Jay to help entrepreneurs overcome these challenges that they may face?
3: Yeah, I, I think the biggest uh, piece of advice I have is to. Write down your fears. It doesn't matter whether you're scared about becoming an entrepreneur or if you're already an entrepreneur, you're concerned about making a big investment or or hiring somebody or firing somebody or doing a, a joint venture or any of the other things that entrepreneurs have to contend with. Uh, I find that so often we get paralyzed by our fears because we're scared of something that we're we're not really sure exactly what the dimensions of that are. So what I always tell entrepreneurs, and I'm a, a very active angel investor, I'm, in, I'm invested in 15 or 16 companies in addition to my own firm, and I always say, write it down. Anything you're scared about, anything you're concerned about, sit down, grab a piece of paper, do it on your keyboard, and describe what the issue is. And once you actually describe it, once you sort of give Uh, shape to it and form, and you write it down, you realize, like, oh, that's actually not that big of a deal. Most of the time when we're scared, part of the reason we're scared is because we are uncertain, and when you write it down, you become certain, and it becomes a lot less scary.
0: Great. Um, I talked with... uh... John Fisher, uh, basically, he has a he has a book uh, called Strategic Entrepreneurship. And it's actually required reading for UC Berkeley and University of San Francisco. And he talks about the old rules and new rules of entrepreneurship. Being that you know you're so prolific in the internet marketing space, what are some of the old rules of online marketing, and what are some of the new rules now?
3: That's a great question. Some of the old rules would would be uh, try to get as many people as you can on your website. Uh, and, and you might do that through search engine optimization, you might do it through email, you might do it through paid search and a number of other tactics. And, and while your own website continues to be important at some level, you have to recognize that most of the interactions you're going to have with customers and prospective customers, partners and prospective partners today are going to occur in places that you don't own and control. So you have to have a very strong presence, not just on your own site, but also in all the other places where people spend time. And that's Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and SlideShare and LinkedIn and YouTube and Periscope and all these other places where where people are spending time that, that's where you start to make relationships, and then you deepen those relationships on your website. Uh, I think your website is, in many cases, less important now than it's ever been.
0: That's that's actually good advice. You know, you know, basically, in other words, you know, trying to be where the crowd is at. You know, as opposed to trying to bring everyone into your house. And, I mean, um, no one's
3: no one's coming to your website to hang out. Like it doesn't, it just doesn't work like that, right? I mean, yeah. Uh, there's a, an amazing stat from uh, from USC. Uh, the Center for the Digital Future there in in L.A., and they say that uh, 85% of your online time is spent on 15 sites or fewer. Uh Uh-huh and of course it is right because you go one place for sports you go one place for weather you go one place for news you go one place for shoes you go one place for books you go one place for movies it's the same thing that happens in the real world right you go one place for gas usually there's three restaurants sure. that you like you know you that you've got the movie theater in your neighborhood so you know tv the same way right i have direct tv i have like 600 channels and i watch like five of them <laughs> uh, and, and so your websites the same way like you know of all the places and, and all the ways that you could conceivably interact with somebody online your website has the least amount of traffic but we sometimes think about it the opposite like oh we got to make sure that you know we get them to our website like so, well not really
0: yeah at best what I try to do Jay I just try to get them to my website to get on my email list you know I That's don't right. care if, I yeah. don't care if they you know go, go to my other pages on my website if I get them on an email list and you know you know it, it it increases the likelihood of me being able to maintain a relationship with them
3: yeah, and that's why one of the most exciting things in online marketing right now is Twitter and Facebook, in particular. Instagram will be next. Are, are are allowing you to run ads that collect email addresses right inside the ad. So if you're on Facebook, you can see the ad. You can say, Hey, we want to send you our free ebook, our free guide. Give us your email address, and all that can happen right inside Facebook. They don't have to leave to go to your website, which actually increases uh, participation rates.
0: Yeah. And and basically, like I said, back to what you're saying, as far as kind of being where the crowd is at uh, for myself, you know, I write for I write for The Huffington Post, which has uh, 80, I believe, 89 million uh, monthly unique visitors. Uh, I I produce videos for Entrepreneur, uh, which has about uh, about 60, 65 more or less uh, monthly unique visitors. So so what you're saying is true. You know, obviously my my demographic you know it's my my demographic is people who want to be entrepreneurs people who want to uh, shift into self-employed so you know entrepreneur magazine is a good publication uh, Huffington Post has has a section for business has a section for education right so uh, it's de- definitely is it's all about being um where the crowd is at and um, you know and and that kind of and that kind of uh, goes into what I want to talk about now do you want to start reaching the finish line then start with a free audiobook. Go to ReachingTheFinishLine.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to click on the Audible banner to get your free audiobook. You may not have a lot of free time, but you can definitely listen to a book on a plane, on the bus, or even while you're driving. Go to ReachingTheFinishLine.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to click on the Audible banner to get your free audiobook. Start reaching the finish line with your free audiobook. Once entrepreneurs start getting customers, um, what what would you say would be some ways that they can maintain consistent revenue from their customers and continue to increase more customers? What would be some yeah. tactics you could give regarding the online marketing world?
3: Yeah, in, in my new book, Hug Your Haters, which is all about customer service disruption, I, I talk about this a lot. Um, I mean, the reality is that your customers are going to have feedback. Some of your customers are going to be unhappy. Uh, it doesn't matter how good you are, what business you're in. At some point, some of your customers are going to be unhappy. But that's actually good news, not not bad news. Um, one of the things that's really interesting about the state of customer service, had a huge, huge research uh, project uh, for the book, and really looked at the science of complaint and found that Today about a third of all customer complaints are never answered. So somebody says something about you on Twitter or Facebook or sends you an email or even leaves you a voicemail and you just don't answer back because like, I don't I don't like that guy, I don't want to get into it, whatever, screw that guy, you know. A lot of people ignore criticism um, as, as a just as a strategy. And and it's especially true among entrepreneurs I find, because entrepreneurs take things very personally because it's their business. And so you're like, Well, I don't want to deal with that, that that's negativity, and so I just turn turn away. But it's a really bad approach because no response is a response it's a response that says i don't care about you at all so what we found in the research is that answering a customer complaint increases customer advocacy every time and not answering a customer complaint decreases customer advocacy every time so this idea that if somebody has a problem we're going to ignore it is actually the worst possible thing you can do
0: in my experience, I've traveled in different parts of the world. I I'll pro- I'll definitely probably assume that you're probably much more well-traveled than I am. But what I have found is uh, exactly what you're talking about, is the the level, the quality of customer service. Uh, in, cer- in certain certain countries, uh, the, the bar, the standard is very low. Like, mm-hmm. for example, in a lot of Latin American countries, um, you know, like, for example, like, a lot of latins are often sympathetic they, they they uh they, they they're very they, they want to shy away from hurting someone's feelings uh so oftentimes if, if they get bad customer service no one says anything you right. know and, and essentially what that does is it perpetuates more bad customer service
3: that's right yeah and, and what's interesting and, is that most people who who get bad customer service don't say anything in fact the research shows that only five percent of unhappy customers ever complain in a way that the business can find it. And they may say something privately to their friends, but only 5% ever complain in a way that the business can find it. So those people who take the time to complain are actually really important customers because they are telling you what you can do better. And if nobody tells you, uh, you don't know about it. I mean, look, Alan, here's the thing. The most overrated thing in business, in fact, I would tell you the most overrated thing in life, especially as an entrepreneur, is praise. Because every time somebody says, Callan, you're so good at this, Callan, you're so good at that, it makes you feel terrific, right? But it doesn't teach you anything because in almost every case, we already know what we're good at. What makes you a better entrepreneur, what makes you a better person is negative feedback and criticism. So the solution cannot be to ignore negativity.
0: Robert Kiyosaki. Almost everyone knows who Robert is. If you don't know who Robert is, uh, he is the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It was an international runaway bestseller book that has held the top spot on the New York Times for over six-plus years. He's an investor, entrepreneur, educator whose perspectives on money and investing fly in the face of conventional wisdom. Talk about the unfair advantage because, Robert, I think a lot of millennials... Uh, they're becoming they're becoming a bit more astute. And as far as you have the sharing economy, people doing the Uber now, they doing these uh, task rabbit, these type of things and trying to uh, create their own type of income, being more flexible. But at the same time, I still think they're a bit ignorant about the unfair advantage. Talk about what is it and how can people take advantage of it?
4: Uh, It's kind of a tough not a tough question but i I stated in rich dad poor dad it's lesson number one the rich don't work for money and too many people i don't care what generation you are they're still working for money and the reason is they don't work for money is because our monetary system is corrupt you know it was the fed was created the federal reserve bank was created in 1913 the same year the irs was created is not that kind of interesting Mm. And so what's happening is that I don't work for money and it goes into definitions. Mm -hmm. My job is to create assets as an entrepreneur. So when I write a book, my book is an asset because it puts money. It puts cash flow income in my pocket. Mm -hmm. When I have cash flow, it's taxed at a lower interest rate Mm -hmm. lower tax rate. So it's really easy. So most people focus on getting a job or selling a product or being a you know web designer or a real estate agent, and that's working for money. And what the rich are doing is creating assets. So you look at Steve Jobs, he created a little asset called Apple, which is country in the world, mm-hmm. company in the world. And you look at Zuckerberg, he created a little company called Facebook. Whereas other people are are you know opening a restaurant, and that's not an asset. That's a service business. Yeah. So there's very big, there's, it's really basically financial literacy. Uh-huh. It's a definition of a word. So the definition of an asset is something that puts money in my pocket, whether I work or not. So today, I own 10,000 rental units. So every month, about a million dollars come in, whether I work or not. That, to me, is smart. But if I was out selling real estate, I don't think I could make a million dollars a month. So I see. it's different mindsets
0: let me ask you this Robert um, I, I'm curious because uh, according to a recent statistic uh, 44% of Millennials uh, said that they'll leave their employer within two years so there's there's there, there's more and more Millennials are becoming less loyal in their in their jobs which which I think is great because in, in a way they're taking their whole financial uh, destiny into their own hands um, as a person who has written about this topic for a long time what do you think about the millennial generation Robert do you have faith in it do you think that a lot of Millennials uh, will uh, are, are, are coming around and eventually are going to become great parents to their children and kind of spur a bigger entrepreneurial revolution
4: I, I don't know I'm not an expert on demographics and that in, in the uh, social demographics hmm. I just know Millennials have a different challenge ahead of them than I did the baby I'm a baby boomer Which was 1946 to 1964 and we we had it easy with we we they were easiest generation to get rich in the millennials might be the hardest so Mm -hmm. but on the other side of it millennials have tools such as social media iphone web and all that so it's actually more conducive for millennials to be entrepreneurs and it was it was you know it made more sense for me to be a corporate guy Which I, but I didn't want to be, so I became an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. But today it's so easy to be an entrepreneur. I don't know why everybody's not an entrepreneur.
0: (laughs) I kind of ask that question sometimes too, uh, Robert. And I think a lot of people is they, you know, they have fear. And a lot of people, they're insecure and uh, the fear of uncertainty kind of really holds them back. But I, but you know, one thing that I always talk about often in this show, the thing is like, you know, certainty is nothing more than illusion. Like, we, like, 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 a, as much as we want to try to create a perceptual picture of certainty, uh, really there is no certainty. You know, I, for example, I can drive to work, and who knows, I'm gonna get a flat tire. There are there are a lot of variables uh, that's out there, and where kind of it kind of justifies or kind of validates the reason that you know we're always uh, uh, living in a uncertain world, and Again, I I think it really it is tied to fear, uh, Robert, because uh, another recent study that we found, uh, it shows that 51 percent of American managers care very little about their work. So they're actively disengaged. They're going to work. They don't really care about it. Just doing it for a paycheck, unfortunately, kind of stuck in the E quadrant, something that you uh, clearly detail in the cash flow quadrant which is one of my favorite books. Uh, so they care very little about their work. So they're stuck in it. So as you said before, it's like, why isn't everyone an entrepreneur? Uh, and, 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 it's a, and it's a good question. Perhaps, Robert, you can share, or maybe, you know, what were some things you've done to overcome that fear and cross over into that B quadrant?
4: Well, there's always fear. Um, I think the biggest problem is people go to school. And as you you know, there's different types of there's four basic intelligences required for a person to be an entrepreneur or a successful, should we say? So one is IQ, which is mental intelligence. And most people who go to school are very good, high IQ.
2: Mm.
4: Uh, The next the biggest one is EQ, emotional intelligence. So that's how, how do you overcome fear, doubt? How do you do? De- uh, it's called delayed gratification. You know, you don't eat your cookie today. You can eat it tomorrow. Uh-huh. The emotional intelligence, EQ, is three times stronger than IQ. Uh-huh. So the reason why many A students are not rich is because they may have high IQ but low EQ. You know, and so my EQ got really stronger because I was a marine pilot in Vietnam. If you, if you could I, you know, I could be a complete genius, but if I'm chicken... I'm Uh going to die. So you have IQ, EQ, then you have PQ, which is physical intelligence. Uh Great athletes like, you know, Tiger Woods or Jordan Spieth, they have high PQ. They're physical geniuses. Uh So most professional athletes are physical geniuses. Uh High physical intelligence. And then the last one is SQ, which is spiritual intelligence. And spiritual intelligence, like financial intelligence, Actually begins with words Literacy, so when I was when I I didn't go to college. I went to a military academy I have a a bachelor's degree But the military academy focused the first word they focus on which is a spiritual word is called mission Honor code integrity and those words are not taught in colleges Mm -hmm. So spiritual intelligence is not very high for most college graduates and that's the big difference is because what kept me alive in Vietnam was that was my mission was duty and honor and code, integrity, love, courage. That's what keep those are the things that make you successful. But unfortunately, when I when I got out of the Marine Corps, I was getting out of the Marine Corps. This is in the 70s and I was in my MBA program. They didn't use the words mission and code. They talked about manipulation, manage money. There was no spiritual intelligence in business school,
0: yeah, yeah, great points, Robert. and one thing that really kind of surprises me or or, or I guess or I guess it's not so surprising, I guess depending on how you look at it, is that a lot, I, I like to say a lot of people are just chasing a rabbit, you know, as you know, like a rabbit is very small, and I think a lot of people a lot of people out there in the workforce, they're just chasing a rabbit. And that's why we see these um, fight for 15 crowds. People want, you know, get, get paid $15 an hour. And uh, perhaps maybe in California, a person can make that argument, you know, you know, when, when the cost of living is ridiculously expensive, maybe you can make that argument, but I feel like in most other places in the US, I feel like $15 an hour is, is unsustainable, especially for small business. Um, what do you think about the fight for 15 crowd, Robert? Do they have validity or what they're saying, or or would you say, well, would you kind of agree that just they're kind of just chasing that rabbit, and, and who knows, once they get a 15, you know, maybe three years later they ask for 20, and then 25 or 30. What would you say to that, Robert?
4: You don't want my opinion on that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you were at rich dad, poor dad, what well, was lesson one? The rich don't work for money. Mm-hmm. So I don't want a job. I don't want a pay raise. I don't want t- incentive. I don't want tips. I don't want bonuses because I'm a rich man. And what I do is I work to acquire assets. Uh So let me give you the definition of an asset. Literacy is definition. Uh So an asset puts money in your pocket, regardless if you work or not. Uh So I have 10,000 rental units. And next year, I'll probably have Uh 11,000. So I get richer and richer because I have assets and that puts money in my pocket. I have four personal residences those are liabilities because every month they cost me money Uh so the problem with what you're talking about chasing a rabbit they're chasing a paycheck Uh and i you know if you want to chase a paycheck you know go to school get a high-paying job become an accountant a doctor or a lawyer then that's your choice it was never my choice i want to do is acquire assets so i I finish a book this year i sell it to 50 publishers throughout the year they send me ten thousand dollars which is the minimum I'll accept for my book. So that's income coming in, and then they pay me a quarterly royalty off of my book for the rest of my life. That makes sense to me. Uh Whereas a journalist will write an article for, let's say, USA Today, and the next day they're going to write another article for USA Today, that's chasing the rabbit to me. We're both in the same profession. We're both writers. Uh I'm creating an asset, and they're chasing the dollars. Thank you, Kellen.
0: Thank you for being our guest, Robert. Thank you for listening. Just another great episode by Callan Diggs, bestselling author and career strategist, as seen at Fast Company and Inc. magazine. If you're not on an email list, you're missing out. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and subscribe to
2: get all the exclusives.